0: Life says me, far as I be been haven't time to slack around in comfort all the years. Come on in, look all around, there's plenty for the sea. Make your own stuff right, home I love the library. There's them that's old before their time, them that's never slowing. Most enjoy the library, I think, for many. in look all around there's plenty for to see make your own self-right right home, home. you'll
1: Welcome to
2: Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Carrie Peterson, and today I'm talking with Homer Sarber about his book, Achieving Buoyancy with the Alaska Marine Highway System. Hello, Mr. Sarber.
1: Hello, Carrie.
2: <laughs> Thank you for um, having this conversation with me today. I'm excited. Sure. So your book, you originally, you were just telling me you originally wrote the memoir in 2013. Correct. And you just finished it or had it published recently.
1: Well, um, I decided early this year that I would like to publish it. And in so doing, I added content. I added about five pages to the book and uh, um, pictures and so forth. And I uh, didn't receive copies of the book until July 30th here in Petersburg. Okay. So I've been trying to do a distribution, uh, spread it around and so forth, and uh, plan to stop in Ketchikan and uh, spread it around there. There's a lot of folks that work for the ferry system that live in Ketchikan, and I've communicated with some of them.
2: Okay. Well, um, so if people are interested in this book, it is for sale at the Bloomster Hoos downtown in Petersburg. Yes. And um, we have a copy here at the library. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So we'll start with what prompted you to write this book. It's a
1: memoir. Yes, it is. And it occurred to me that um, there really wasn't anything out there, at least that I could find, that gave a perspective of what the early years were like with the Alaska Marine Highway System. I went to work in May of 1964 as an assistant purser on the Malaspina, and the crew turnover was so great that in September of the same year I was chief purser on the Matanuska. It was—everybody was kind of like on-the-job training.
2: Yeah. So 19—sorry, 1964, is that what you said?
1: 1964.
2: Yeah, so how long had the ferry system been in operation at that point?
1: One year. One year. It started in 1963.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. And after reading it, it's really fascinating to hear that history of the early—
1: Yes, it was um, a lot of growing pains, trial and error. Everybody was trying to find their way, so to speak, and, uh, and uh, in some respects the early years were were the best ones because we were working as a team, management ashore and operating crews aboard the ship. Were, the the rapport in res- retrospect was the best ever, and everybody was trying to make things work. and We had uh, the backup of Governor Egan, yeah, and uh, and following him, Wally Hickel, uh, were all uh, strong proponents of the ferry system, and uh, that whole combination made the early years. Significant in growing and uh, achieving buoyancy with the ferry system. And uh, uh, I don't uh, get a sense that that situation exists today, but um, to me, it's a necessary consequence moving forward if the ferry system is to uh, survive and regain buoyancy. But anyway, what prompted me to write the book is basically to present uh, my experience aboard ship. And so I had encouragement from some shipmates to write the book, and uh, I uh, uh, decided to... To do so, uh, but it was 14 years after I retired before I, uh, I I wrote the most of this this memoir. Okay.
2: So when what year did you retire in? 1999.
1: 1999.
2: So how it, many how many years did you work for the Alaska Marine Highway System? Well,
1: I was associated with the ferry system for 35 years. I worked 27 years aboard ship, and uh, eight years as a union official, uh, the Inland Mountains Union of the Pacific. Uh, two years as a patrolman, and two three-year elected terms as uh, Alaska Regional Director of the of the IBU. Okay. But uh, IBU issues or union issues are. Are not really germane uh, relative to my book. It's about yeah. my onboard onboard experiences. Yes. And uh, uh, there was a lot of them. I mean, the book could have been considerably longer. Yeah. But uh, um, in fact, it's only turned out to be about 45 pages.
2: Yeah, it's a small book, but you've packed a lot in there. I really enjoyed learning about the history. Mm-hmm. of it there's um, one paragraph in there comes to mind about when you talk about how much you were paid how well, much you were getting paid yeah. to
1: bartend. Well in February 64 uh, the. US Army turned me loose and uh, I returned home to Petersburg. I had three job opportunities and both of them paid more than what I would make on the ferry asset. A- as a purser, junior assistant purser in this case, to begin. And uh, um, I uh, just—I became immediately intrigued with the ferry system when I got home. And uh, I uh, just really wanted to go to work aboard ship, and and it's worked out to be a wonderful career
2: yeah so i was reading in your book too about the hours um boy in those early days the hours and the turnover Mm -hmm. of of personnel was crazy i i'm amazed it's it's interesting listening to the story that you were clearly dedicated to the Mm -hmm. job and the highway system Mm -hmm. um because it, the turnover rate was astronomical, and mm-hmm. and the growing pains, especially, I mean, when I think of the ferry system today, you know, we always get into port. Mm-hmm. I never dreamed that we're not going to make it. And But right. at that time, you talk in your book about how there was no bow thrusters on the original ferries, right. and... Some uh, of the ports, like uh, Skagway, you couldn't even get into exactly. if the wind was blowing.
1: In the winter time. it seemed like just about every trip, uh, we bounced up Lynn Canal. There was uh, 30, 40, 50, or 60-knot wind blowing. And the temperatures were in the low teens, teens, and yeah. <laughs> the chill factor was pretty brutal. And... Gagway, the the terminal in gagway was ill-conceived. It was built broadside to the wind and the ships had to, to dock broadside to yeah. the wind and they didn't have a bow thruster to help and uh, um, on most occasions we weren't able to arrive. Once in a while the wind would let up and we were able to sneak in yeah. load and <laughs> Offload, and load, and go. But uh, it was a challenge. Um, the bow thruster made a significant difference Yeah. in docking and so forth. And uh, it was remedied uh, rather quickly. I'm not sure if it was the following year or the next year. We installed ball thrusters on um, yeah. free ships.
2: And you guys were working something like Eighty-four hour weeks or something like that. Well, that's
1: a that's a normal work week is eighty-four hours. Is it
2: still that way?
1: Uh, yes. Um, it's a twelve-hour day on okay. the um, ferries for seven days, and uh, uh, in my particular case in those early years, uh, because of. Uh, amount of ports we were running from Prince Rupert to Skagway, with all the ports in between twice a yeah. week, and that's wow. 20, 26 ports, Yeah, that used up an 84-hour work week. And okay. then all the other duties I had in regard to paperwork and so forth, uh, I was putting in uh, a 17-hour day, uh, at least, during the course of the week. Wow. But I was young. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the, the really great factors uh, for me working on a ship was the, the growing rapport with your shipmates, you know. The working environment uh, created lasting relationships because you were just kind of like a family yeah. there, trying to make things work and so forth and working together.
2: Yeah, all in the same ship. (laughs) You're all in the same boat. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, of course, I had an additional perk to my job, which was my Alaska, southeast Alaska residency, three generations.
2: Okay. And
1: uh, so many of the people that came aboard during just about every work week, there was folks that came on in Sitka or... Juneau or someplace that I knew.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, so that was uh, a big plus for me.
2: Nice. Yeah, Yeah, I bet it was. If you are just joining us, this is Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson, and today I'm talking with Homer Sarber, about his book, Achieving Buoyancy with the Alaska Marine Highway System. As we pick up our conversation, Mr. Sarber is telling me about his favorite time in his 35 years working for the Alaska Marine Highway System.
1: Just the experience of being aboard a ship and Going from one port to the next, and each ship had kind mm-hmm. of a different vibe. So especially the Wickersham, those six years were <laughs> pretty special. Yeah, with, uh, that Wickersham. was
2: fascinating learning about the
1: Wickersham. Yeah, yeah, it uh, uh, was handicapped by the Jones Act uh, to begin with. Yeah. And uh, they they ran out of Vancouver, British Columbia, because under the Jones Act, it could only carry traffic from one a foreign port to domestic port. And uh, folks getting on in Vancouver, BC, could go to all of our Alaska destinations, but they couldn't carry a passenger from Juneau to Ketchikan. That sort of thing, until they got a waiver.
2: Until they got a waiver.
1: They got a waiver to the Jones Act. And then, of course, traffic blossomed, so to speak, and uh, we were able to enjoy uh, more passengers. Yeah.
2: yeah. And and you say that in your book you talk about how the Wickersham really kind of inspired the direction that the rest of the ferries took on after mm-hmm. that for the services yeah. and cabins.
1: It, uh, it uh, they emulated the, the Wickersham, for example, with the Columbia, mm-hmm. came into service in 1974. Uh, and, of course, then the Wickersham was sold to Finland in 74 because the Jones Act was set up that the waiver was only good until a replacement vessel was available which was a okay. Columbia and so uh, um, but the the appointments and so forth on the Columbia were uh, were were pretty special yeah and, uh, and so forth but
2: well and the ferries have changed so much over the years I um, I don't know. I think for everybody, well, I'll just speak for myself, but but I do think for a lot of people, especially in Southeast, the the ferries just hold a special place in your heart because it's mm-hmm. been part of your life and mm-hmm. how you get around from point A to point B. And, and I think, especially as kids, all the time we've spent on the ferry together, mm-hmm. um, traveling and... Uh, yeah. Over the years, to see like how the the services have changed on the ferries. I know most recently when I got on the ferry several years back with my own kids who were now traveling mm-hmm. for school. I and I hadn't been on the ferry in a long time to see.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now we don't have video games. Now we have, <laughs> um, you know, the old arcade games that used to be on the ferry back in the eighties and. Um, but now they had uh, you have the cafeteria but on some ferries they also have like it's kind of like a cafeteria but it's open longer hours or something yeah,
1: the, yeah. The, when the uh, Malaspina and the Matanuska were stretched they put 50 feet into both of those ships and uh, they came away with cafeteria style uh, dining yeah Yeah. Uh, the Columbia maintains a dining room and a cafeteria yeah but um, I believe that's the only ship that does it was just uh, so
2: nice to be able to be in there all the time with the kids Mm -hmm. um and traveling it was just it made so much sense
1: yeah yeah well it It's uh, when you think about it, you know. Of course, Prince Rupert was the southern terminus for the first five years of the system's operation, and with three new ferries—the Malaspina, Mad, the and they were able to make two round trips between Prince Rupert and Skagway a week. So during the summer, that meant that there were six round trips between Prince Rupert and all uh, Alaska all ports in between. So
2: <clears throat> and what is it today, do you know? Is it
1: Well, We have uh, currently. Yeah. We have the Kennecott running out of Bellingham. And the uh, Matanuska running out of Bellingham. And of course, the Kennecott goes all the way to Whittier. Okay. And it takes 2 weeks for the Kennecott to make that trip. So they have three sailings every two weeks out of Bellingham. Nothing is going in or out of Prince Rupert right yeah, now. Because and because COVID. That's pretty sad. Yeah. I know that COVID has really thrown a monkey wrench into everything, <laughs> and uh, it, certainly, it certainly impacted did. the Alaska Marine Highway System Yeah, uh, greatly. It's uh, unfortunate all around.
2: But I'm hopeful in the next year that maybe that'll change.
1: Yeah, well.
2: So what are your thoughts about how far the Alaska Marine Highway System has come during the time you work there?
1: Well, it's come very far. Yeah. I mean, when we first started out uh, in 64, um, there was only the mainline ferries. There were LaCondi and the Aurora didn't come into service until some years later as feeder ferries to the, the smaller villages and outlying ports. Um, the Testamina came into service in 1965, I believe, to serve the Southwest system. But uh, So there's quite a lot of growth there, and then of course the Columbia in 1974. And then finally the Kennecott, uh, I think about 1996, but uh, I came in just uh, a few years before I retired and never had a chance to work on the Kennecott.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So what are your thoughts about the current state of the Alaska Marine Highway System? I know Mm -hmm. it's... um, you talk about the support, you know, straight through from the crew to the governor.
1: Uh, basically, the answer is sad. Yeah. <laughs> sad about what's going on with the ferry system, I know, these last two years. But uh, uh, taking the uh, summer of 2019, uh, they were operating the Matanuska and the Cantercot and the Columbia. Uh, in 2019, and uh, uh, the Matanuska was uh, making two trips a week out of Prince Rupert, and the uh, Columbia and uh, Matanuska. But when COVID came in in 2020, and this year as well, yeah, uh, that changed everything. I don't know exactly what the, uh, the problem is with Prince Rupert. Maybe it's simply Canada's Other, concern about COVID. I, I think,
2: know. well, the the Canadian border just opened back up hmm. for people to be able to go to Canada. But I know right now the border is still closed that Canadians cannot come back across the border into Mm -hmm. America. Like, America has the border closed, not Canada at this point. I see. Um, I imagine it will change at some point.
0: I hope so. (laughs) Let's hope. I know some
2: people people have gone to Canada and come back, Mm -hmm. but um, not just anybody can do it.
1: No, they need to show a uh, significant reason, I guess, for travel. Uh, yeah. To get through the border. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, service out of Prince Rupert needs to resume at some point. Yeah. I
2: hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was Homer Sarber talking about his newly published book achieving buoyancy with the alaska marine highway system and it is available locally at bloomster hoos and we also have a copy here at the library and please join us again next week at the same time ten thirty, and we will be finishing this conversation with mr sarber when he when i get to ask him about what he thinks about the future of the alaska marine highway system and how it could achieve buoyancy today. This show will be archived as a podcast on the library's website at www.psglib.org. And we will also have the second part of the conversation there as well, um, the part that we'll be playing next week on the radio. Thank you for joining us. This has been Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. And thank you to KFSK and the Friends of Petersburg Libraries for making today's show possible.
0: So if you're on a mission boat